0: Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 165, Storytime, Narrative Adventure Games for Kids. I am Sean, with me, the Tabletop Bellhop himself, Mo.
1: I am Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night question and striving to make everyone's gaming experience
0: better. We record here, live, Wednesday nights at 9pm Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. Thanks for joining us, especially those of you here live in our chat room. So
1: tonight, we've got someone looking for some narrative adventure-style board games to play with their six-year-old, and we've got a number of great game recommendations for them. Then we review one of those recommendations with Chronicles of Avel from Rebel Studio. We wrap up with a solid week in review, including plays of Lost Ruins of Arnak, Chronicles of Evel, and its expansion, our first play of Quacks of Quedlinburg with the Herb Witches expansion, Imperial Settlers' Codename Duet, and the very start of a new Charterstone campaign.
0: Welcome to the Suggestion Box.
1: Here we highlight some of our interactions with you fine folk.
0: First up, a comment from Bob Lai about our Robotech topic from last week you doubtless enjoy the book Macross, Perfect Memory, an import from Japan, which is chock full of character illustrations from various angles and probably story data. It's all in kanji, akin to the Star Trek encyclopedia.
1: Well, thanks, Bob. That does sound cool to check out, though an English translation would definitely be more useful to me. Um, unlike some Robotech fans I know, I didn't actually bother to take courses in Japanese to enjoy my anime more.
0: Well, next, a comment on our Chronicles of Avalon unboxing from Joanna Pikarska on BoardGameGeek. They wrote, thanks for such a detailed unboxing.
1: Well, thanks, Joanna. Uh, or you're welcome, Joanna, I guess is more appropriate. Uh, what I dig most about this comment is that it means that there are people indeed watching our unboxings on BoardGameGeek, which at least justifies the time I take to import them over there. So that's always good to see. As for Avel or Avel, however you're supposed to pronounce it, stay tuned because we're going to be talking about that game quite a bit tonight. Now, finally, we've got a comment going back to the episode and article where Sean talked about the Supers RPGs he's been reading and what makes each stand out from each other. Mark Knights writes, It is likely that I will be playing a Supers game in the coming few weeks, so it was good to take a look at what's out there. Honestly, my favorite Supers game is an Australian game right out of the 80s. It's the first game I ever bought for $12 in its box set form. It's Is Super Squadron. It is super random, has lots of different systems at play, but it is slick and offers great variability in characters. I've never come across a game that gives the breadth of play that it does. Mind you, playing it as written meant you could come out with a character with one power, which was enhanced charisma, while another player might randomly roll Superman-like powers. But I like games like that. I will give you that Spectaculars intrigues me. And to be honest, so does Mutants and Masterminds. So thanks for the post.
0: Well, I got to say, Super Squadrons sound interesting. I'd love to find a copy of the 1984 box set if it was a reasonable price. Right now, it's at about 80 bucks on Noble Knight. Uh, and there's some pricey ones on eBay as well. Now, I actually found an article from the designer of the game indicating that they were working on a second edition in a 2016 issue of RPG Review. But alas, no more seems to have come of that. So who knows? Now, as far as new games, if you're playing face-to-face, I think there's probably enough randomness in Spectaculars to give you the feeling you're looking for. And since it's quite the narrative system, the breadth of play is very much up to your group. Mutants and Masterminds is certainly a crunchy step up from Spectaculars, (laughs) but I would actually suggest taking a good look at Villains and Vigilantes as the alternative. It has all those juicy tables for all the randomness in developing a character and powers, and I suspect you'll hit a lot of the same feels you were getting from Super Squadron, including some really reasonably priced adventures to be found for it on drive drive-through. Cool. Well, that's it for this week's comments. Send your feedback to Mo at tabletopbellhop.com or hit us up on social media. We're here to answer your game, gaming, or Game Nights questions. Tonight's question comes from Craig Kennedy, posted on Facebook to ask, What would you recommend for a narrative adventure game that a six-year-old could play? I'm thinking of either Mice and Mystics or Stuffed Fables.
1: Well, thanks for the great question, Craig. So quickly, I'll just say, of those two, Stuffed Fables is the better choice. Interestingly, (laughs) I tried playing Mice and Mystics with my girls when they were right about that age. While they enjoyed it the game was honestly too much for them. There was just too much going on, too many things to track, and too many options. The only reason that it worked is that mom and dad pretty much held their hands, and the main thing they did was roll dice and tell us what the results were. Now, Stuff Fables is a much simpler game that also features a more kid-friendly story and theme.
0: My kids were more into mass-market kids' games at that age, which unfortunately don't tend to feature too much of the narrative or adventure, focusing focusing more on the basic skill development. Yes. Instead.
1: Now, due to the fact Craig mentioned my Mystics and Stuff Fables, I'm going to assume that they're mainly looking for board game suggestions, so tonight's list is going to reflect that. That said, just in case they're open to the concept of role-playing games, I do have a few recommendations there as well. And while at least one of the board games I'll be mentioning, actually a couple of the board games I'll be mentioning, do have some RPG elements in them and definitely some storytelling elements.
0: The other important thing to note before we start, every kid is different and you know your kids better than we do. Having two kids, both of us have two kids. We know very well how different they can be and how one kid's progression can Mm -hmm. vary from the other. Especially at this age, your kid's abilities could be very different from another six-year-old.
1: Yes. And at this age, at least as far as gaming is concerned, board gaming is concerned, tabletop gaming, uh, the biggest skill that is going to be a variable here is the ability to read. This is going to be a big factor in which games they'll be able to enjoy and how much they'll enjoy them. Now, I made this list assuming that the child in question has at best a rudimentary reading level. And if any. And that the table would be helping them so the adults at the table or older siblings or whatever would be working with them and coaching the kids playing they wouldn't just be able to take the game and go play it in the other room for example
0: as usual for these game recommendations lists the following games are in no particular order
1: nope not at all though like there's a theme kind of in a way and i kind of picked them out based on my shelves but so number one uh we're going to start off with stuff fables right i mentioned this just a few seconds ago in a direct replay to reply to craig's question but i really do strongly recommend this story-based game for younger kids for a few reasons for one the story is much more kid-friendly when compared to mice and mystics and some of the other storybook games you are playing a young child stuffed animals who are going to be guarding her during her first sleep in their big girl bed this, of course, leads you to battling the monsters from under the bed and getting sucked into their world and on an adventure that features a lot more than just battling bad guys. Now, two things that worry me about this game and playing with a six-year-old is that there is a lot of reading at each chapter. So, like, the introduction to the chapter is basically a storybook and the game is quite long, usually taking over an hour to two hours to play just one chapter, one page of the book. So your kid has to be willing to, to be read to, or read, and keep focused for a long period of time. I know many kids that don't have the passion for that. Now, that said, as long as you have somewhere to keep the game set up, I don't see any reason you would have to finish a full chapter every time you sit down and play. You should be able to basically stop and say, you know what, the next time it's mom's turn, we're going to stop here and we can play more tomorrow. Now, once you do finish Stuff Fables, there's also a big box expansion called Oh Brother that was released in the middle of the pandemic, so not a lot of fanfare about this one, but it includes a totally new story, new challenges, new enemies, and new fables to tell. Now, if you manage to get through both of those, that's where I would recommend perhaps looking into Mice and Mystics. For a similar storybook system with a little more crunch to it and a little bit more adult story. Well, not even adult, older kids story. There's kidnapping and stuff involved, instead of stuffed animals battling dolls. So that would be my recommendation for the next step, and by the time you get through all that, your kid's probably not six anymore anyway, so they'll probably be able to enjoy the game even more.
0: Well, that was Stuffed Fables and its expansion, Oh Brother.
1: Now next, I want to move to a game, or rather series of games, that don't have either of these problems. No tons of reading, no long playtime. This is Rory's Story Cubes. Now, Rory Story Cubes are a set of custom dice with symbols on them instead of numbers. And I, they come in either dice sets of six or eight, and I don't remember off the top of my head, even though I've got three packs behind me. Um, they're sold in theme sets, so you can get, like, actions, voyages, clues, as well as now they have licensed packs. Like, you can get Batman, Star Wars, and Doctor Who. Now, each set comes with a number of games you can play, which all involve the players telling a story, improvising. Sometimes together, where you're telling a joint story, where like you're going to use a die, then the next player has to incorporate another die, and the next player has to incorporate a die. Other times, you're rolling your dice for yourself and trying to make a story out of your dice, and so on. I personally found Rory's Story Cubes to be fantastic to play with our kids, even when they were younger than six, due to their love of storytelling most kids are going to recognize symbols at a young age and be able to tell you fascinating things all about the little stick man on the die. We found the reaction or uh, sorry, restrictions added by the cubes actually were fantastic as opposed to, um, just telling a full improv story. It actually worked as inspiration for my girls instead of a limitation by having to use the dice as opposed to just sitting down and having them tell a story.
0: Sometimes a little bit of structure is all you need And that was Rory's Story Cubes.
1: Now, sticking with improv storytelling, but adding more game to it, my next game is Dungeons & Dragons Adventure Begins. Now, despite having the D&D name on the box and featuring D&D creatures and locations, this game is nowhere near as complicated as the full role-playing game. It's honestly not even really a role-playing game. It's more of an improv experience, and even more of an improv experience than even a, a real game. Now, what I do recommend here is if you've got a non-reader, you let the readers take turns being the GM, because that's one of the things in the game, the GM role rotates. Just skip over that for the non-readers and let them play their characters and describe their characters' actions and roll the dice. Now, while I didn't introduce this one to my kids until they were older, I am certain I would have played this with them and they would have loved it when they were younger had it been out. Now, for a lot more information on this game and why I don't really recommend it for older kids or as an introduction to Dungeons & Dragons, check out my review through our
0: podcast, the blog, or YouTube. And that was D&D Adventure Begins.
1: Now, for a dungeon crawler with a lot more game to it and removing the improv storytelling aspects, I would actually recommend HeroQuest now that it's back in print. This is the classic Games Workshop board game that I grew up playing. Now, the only real reading required here is on the part of Zargon, the player playing the adversary, and for the spells that the Elf and Wizard have to cast. So have your non-reader play the Dwarf of the Barbarian, and you should be good on that count. Now, while your kids may need help with strategy and how to play the rules and maybe going shopping, they're going to love seeing the 3D components on the boards, exploring the dungeons, playing with the miniatures, and rolling dice to battle monsters. A nice touch on this is the dice use symbols, so you don't even need to count or add up pips when playing this game. I know many parents who have introduced their younger kids to HeroQuest over the years, starting at very young ages in some cases.
0: And that was... Hero Quest, once more available
1: new in stores. Yes, new in stores. Now, sticking with the theme of adventure, but going back to cooperative games, next I want to suggest Chronicles of Avil. This is a four player tower defense game where players collect equipment through a unique touch based bag pulling system, explore a hex map, and prepare to defend the castle from a horde of monsters and the beast. Now, some of the things a young kid will really enjoy is getting to draw and color their own character, create heraldry for the character, the very cool inventory system, and the whimsical fantasy world, the non-threatening monsters in this game. Now, the cooperative nature means players can easily coach kids having difficulty. Now, our family has really been enjoying this game, and we've honestly had just as much fun playing with kids as with other adults. This is up there with Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters as one of the best kids games I've ever played, bar none. Now, learn more about Chronicles of Avil later in the show, as it's our featured review
0: tonight. And that was Chronicles of Avil, which isn't quite available in North America yet, but should be and- soon.
1: Now, speaking of ghost fight and Treasure Hunters, any long-term fan of the show knows I can't make a kid's game list with including this great cooperative game. Now, there isn't a lot of story in this game, but it does have a story-ish theme, and it's got that adventure side. You are sneaking into a haunted mansion, battling ghosts, and trying to collect a number of treasures and get them out of the house. Now, this uses the popular cooperative mechanic of everyone does something, then something bad happens. And in this case, the bad is the house filling with ghosts. If you ever get three ghosts in the same room, they become a haunt, and once you get too many haunts, the players lose. Now, along with this one, there is also the creepy cellar expansion that I think makes a great game even better. It adds some new twists while making the game a bit easier due to some randomness mitigation that was uh, badly needed.
0: And that, like almost every list of children's games, is Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. I need non-cooperative
1: kids games, and then I can't, you know, somehow wedge it in there. Now, my final board game for tonight is another cooperative one that actually has a bit in common with Avil, as that it also uses bags, though this time it's a bag builder, kind of like a deck builder, but with a bag, and that is Talisman Legendary Tales. This is a scenario-based campaign game where players are exploring, fighting bad guys, and trying to complete quests on a very tight time limit. Now, the game uses bag building where each asymmetric character gets their own bag with their own set of little chips in it. Fights are done by drawing tiles from your bags, hoping to pull the right symbols depending on which monsters you're fighting. Now, as you defeat monsters, you can also earn more items which then get added to your bag. Now, unlike Avil. The tokens in this one are all the same size and shape. So this doesn't have that feeling thing. It's just using the bag as a random element where you're pulling random things. This features some great great cooperative rules where you can actually pull from another player's bag. So if your wizard gets in a fight and it's against an orc and you need the fighter's help, you could get the fighter to pull from their bag to help. There's a lot going on in this game. Though I will admit, for Talisman fans, this is pretty far detached from the original board game.
0: Well, that was Talisman Legendary Tales, not just Talisman.
1: Yes. Next, I want to highlight a couple of actual role-playing games, actual story games that I think are great for kids, starting with Mermaid Adventures. Now, this was the first role-playing game I introduced my personal kids to, and it was around that age period. Now this is a very kid-friendly role-playing game that uses a really simple dice pool mechanic tied to only three stats where the big thing it encourages players to do is to come up with reasons to use their best stat to solve things and solve things without fighting or combat. You also have unique mermaid abilities for all the different mermaid types because they're not just fishmen in this. You've got shark men and 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 um Okay. Drawn a complete blank octopus women and so on. You have all kinds of different sea creature, mer creatures, and you're trying to use your abilities and your items to try to overcome problems. And the more things you have on your side, the more dice you roll. Now, the thing with this one, and this is a, a unfortunate caveat I have to add, is that you want to find the first printing of Mermaid Adventures and not the second printing, which is actually a source book for the PIP system, which is much less kid friendly. Now, find out more about both versions of this game over on the blog.
0: And that was Mermaid Adventures first edition, not the newer PIP system rules, which aren't, again, aren't as kid friendly.
1: Next up, I have Hero Kids. Now, this is a role-playing game specifically designed to be played by kids ages 4 to 10. So it's right in that right wheelhouse. Now, this is very much a generic fantasy system set up to be a stepping stone to more traditional fantasy role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder. Now, this also uses a D6 dice pool systems, features short one hour or less sessions, 10 different types of heroes you can play, and so on. Now, if I had known this existed at the time, I certainly would have played this with my girls.
0: And that was Hero Kids. And now we have some honorable mentions. So the first
1: one I found with doing research for this topic, looking at various other people's lists and game recommendations for for storytelling and and adventure games for kids. And it's Eboo, E-E-B-O-O, storytelling cards. And as soon as I saw those, I was like, oh, these are like Rory Story Cubes. But instead of being dice, it's a full deck of cards, all featuring whimsical artwork. And it wasn't just like one image. it was a bunch of things going on, like a bunch of rabbits in a carriage and there's wind blowing. So there's multiple things you can pull from. And I was thinking this is cool. And it has, again, a variety of different improv storytelling games where you're trying to play the cards out of your hand or you're trying to collect them or you're drafting and passing them to other players. And I got to say, the main reason I wanted to bring this one up is also because looking at these pictures, I was struck with the thought that you could do this with any artwork-heavy game that you already own. Dixit and Mysterium being the two that obviously came to mind for me for the whimsical artwork. So this would be a great way for a gamer parent to use a game they already own to make a kid's improv game experience.
0: And that's Eboo Storytelling Cards.
1: Next I have Andor the Family Fantasy Game. In a way, not to be confused with Legends of Andor, though it is based on this. This is a simplified version of Legends of Andor series of games, which honestly are fantastic cooperative puzzle games from Cosmos that I strongly recommend the adults check out if they're looking for a cooperative fantasy adventure. Well, Andor, not Legends of Andor, just Andor, is a cooperative fantasy game where everyone's going to take on a role of a character whose asymmetric and unique abilities, who are on epic quest that features rescuing a pack of wolf cubs before the dragon reaches the castle. Now, this one looks great. Uh, It says 8 plus on the box, but I've noticed all board game geek has it set as recommended at 6 plus. As a fan of Andor, this looks fantastic. If my girls were younger, I would probably pick it up, but now they can play the full game.
0: And that's Andor, the family fantasy game. Now,
1: my last one tonight I think is an important one that I wanted to make sure I put on the list. And this is Starport. Now this is a role playing game. That's mashing fantasy and sci-fi. You've got dragons and you've got spaceships, you've got outer space and you've got, you know, the, the fairy glens. This is doing something completely different from pretty much every other game on the list, including the role playing games and the board games, because this game features zero reference to any shooting, hitting, slashing, or fighting of enemies. Now, it's designed for kids aged 5 to 12, and there's another one that I wish was around when my girls were younger. I love the fact that they have removed combat, so there will be conflict, but no combat in the game whatsoever.
0: And that was Starport. Now, I actually have an honorable mention here for Amazing Tales by Martin Lloyd. Now, while I haven't played Amazing Tales, I have played with Amazing Heroes – the supers version of this system. And I can say that it's very easy and straightforward for a parent to guide their children through adventures with, with the parent nice. being the GM.
1: And that was Amazing Tales by Martin
0: Lloyd. And that's it for our list of great narrative and adventure games for playing with a six-year-old
1: answer your Gaming and Game Night questions, if you've got a question for us, head over to the website, click on Ask the Bellhop, or fire off an email to questions at tabletopbellhop.com.
0: Welcome to our review of Chronicles of Avell from Rebel Studios, who we have to thank for sending, sending us a review copy of this game. Note, in addition to talking about the base game, we will also be letting you know what you get with the Adventurer's Toolkit Expansion, and Heroes Treasure Promo Pack.
1: So Chronicles of Avell was designed by Szymek Utkowiak and features artwork from Bart Walme Kardowski. It was originally published by Polish manufacturer Rebel Studio in Poland and is coming soon to North America. Now right now you can find it up for pre-order at most Canadian online stores for a price around 50 Canadian or 65 for a bundle with the expansion Promo Pack and Meeple Stickers. Now, it's this bundle that we're going to be talking about tonight, because that's what we were sent. Now, oddly, I haven't seen this available on any U.S. sites as of yet, so it looks like it might be coming to Canada first.
0: And I will say, the expansion for the game is small, but useful enough that it's really probably best to get it in the bundle if you can.
1: So in Chronicles of Avil, players take on the role of brave heroes attempting to defend the lands of Avil and the health stone from various monsters and the beast, which will be summoned when a meteor crashes into the land. In this cooperative tower defense game, players will explore a hex map, defeat monsters, and equip their heroes using a unique bag-pulling mechanism that uses your sense of touch to help you get the items you want. This is all done in preparation for the end game where the monsters will rush the castle.
0: For a look at what you get in the box for Chronicles of Avel, be sure to check out our unboxing video on YouTube.
1: Now, overall, the quality here is honestly top notch. Some of the best I have seen at a game targeted at families and younger kids. You've got two-layered player boards, thick cardboard, clear rules, fantastic artwork, and a unique fantasy setting where all of the gods are moons. That all of this really makes this game stand out above many other family weight games.
0: And as you learn about the gameplay, you'll understand why the component quality makes more of a difference than you might think. Now, how about you give us an overview of how to play Chronicles of Avell?
1: Alright, you start a game of Chronicles of Avel by building the map. This is done by first placing the castle and three set hex tiles around it, though they're in random order. But those three are always outside the castle every game. You then randomize the rest of the tiles and lay them out face down in a pattern based on how difficult you want the game to be. Now, the base game comes with a number of maps split over three different difficulty levels, with the expansion adding even more. You also pick what level you want the final fight to be by picking a meteor from strength one to three. Now, this is placed on the appropriate spot on the map. With both of these sliders, right? Like two different things you can adjust. This gives you a really wide range of challenges and difficulty levels.
0: Which makes this a great game to grow with. Mm -hmm. So if you've got little ones, you can start things off easy and the game can get harder as they grow. Or if you want to break it out for grown-up game night, you can dial it up for that.
1: Now, once you've got the board set up, players make their characters, which my kids think is the best part of the game. This starts by grabbing a character sheet and then drawing or coloring in your character. There are boy and girl presenting sheets, and they're pretty fleshed out, but easy enough to draw over with a marker or softer pencil. Next, you're going to name your character, which you can do on your own, but the game actually provides a die drop table with male and female sounding names. And this is actually the first time I think I've ever seen a die drop table used in a board game, and I love it. Finally, players can create heraldry for their characters.
0: Now, I'm going to bet that a lot of listeners may not be familiar with what a die drop table is, as they are a bit niche and, as you pointed out, rarely used in board games. Now, a die drop table is a graphical tool that allows the location of where the die lands to determine what set of values the number on the die represents.
1: Now, once everyone's made their characters, you place the character sheet into the two-layer character boards, which are designed to hold the sheet between the layers, as well as give players a place to store their health counters and equipment. Now, each character starts with five health and one gold and one pull from the item bag. Now, the item bag is a big part of what makes Chronicles of Aval cool. In the bag is a mix of helmets, shields, weapons, and potions, each type having its own unique shape, so a sword feels different from a helmet. Now, when you need to pull an item from the bag, you say a short chant that lasts about five seconds, during which you can feel around to try to find the item type you want. When the chant ends, you have to pull your hand out, and you're stuck with whatever you got.
0: This feel mechanic is one of the real fun mechanics of the game, though I am certain there are going to be some folks out there who may find it challenging with certain forms of nerve damage or dexterity limitations that might impede this mechanic from working as ideally for everybody.
1: Yeah, so be aware of that if you are looking to purchase this game. The touch is required to fully enjoy it. Now, your character board has room for one helmet, one sword, and one shield. Any excess equipment, gold, and potions need to be stored in your pack, which is another cool part of the game, because due to using a two-layered board, the pack is actually set into the board, and you can fit as much stuff into your pack as you can physically fit the cardboard tokens on the board without stacking anything.
0: Like Tetris, but without regular shapes. Mm -hmm. These are more oblong, rounded forms than nice, neat cubes.
1: Yes. Now, when done creating characters, everyone places their meeple on the castle, and the game starts. Now, each round, players are going to take turns, taking two actions. After all players have gone, the moon token advances towards becoming the new moon. With each advance, either monsters respawn or players gain one health. Once the token hits the end of the track, the game end game is triggered. Not the end of the game, but like the end game. A meteor token is flipped over, some new monsters are going to spawn, and the beast is added to the board, which is a nice tall 3D token that you put out. Now, from this point on, at the end of every turn, every monster, including the beast, will advance towards the castle. If any of them get into the castle, the players
0: lose. So in many ways, a sort of standard tower defense progression. You've got your prep time, and then the monsters make their way in to test what you've built up.
1: now, the actions the players can take include resting to get two hearts back, moving one hex, revealing a new hex, uh, like flipping over a new hex if you move on to a face-down one, attacking a monster that's already on a hex, or interacting with the hex they're on.
0: And only two actions doesn't leave a lot of time to experiment when that meteor is on its way.
1: Now, most hexes contain wandering monsters, and these come in two different difficulty levels, small and large, represented by how big the tokens are. Now, monsters are further split into three colors, which affect how the player's equipment works on them, without getting into too much detail. Now, hexes without monsters include useful sites where you can take actions like buying items, which gives you a pull from the bag, selling items by putting them back in the bag and getting some coins, upgrading the items you already own, which makes them way more powerful, placing walls around the castle, each wall will prevent one monster from moving into the castle once, buying traps you can use against the
0: beast, and more. And remember, it's a random layout, so you can only plan so much.
1: Now, one rule I really like, and that adds to the family-friendly nature of this game, is that the monsters never attack the characters. It's always up to a player to initiate combat, and you can freely move around or pass monsters on the board. Now, this has the advantage of the game not requiring a GM player or any AI for the bad guys. Until the final round, they literally just sit there waiting to be attacked, And even in the final round, the only thing you need to do is they move one spot toward the castle every round, and every move has to be closer.
0: Think of it as them resting, waiting to be awoken by the meteor. It's actually pretty thematic.
1: Fair. Totally true. Now, combat in Chronicles of Avold is dice-based and pretty straightforward. Every hero starts with two green dice used in combat. They can earn additional red attack dice, blue defense dice, or yellow magic dice through upgrading their equipment. Now, non-upgraded equipment earns players either automatic hits or defenses against a specific color of monsters, or rerolls that can be used once per combat. Now, each baddie shows a set number of black or purple dice on them. When attacking, you roll all your dice and the bad guy dice together and check the results. Swords and claws do damage to the monsters or you respectively. Shields and broken swords cancel these out. The magic yellow die also has a symbol that can count as either a sword or a shoe. Now, after all the cancelling out is done, you and or the monster take damage for any leftover swords or claws. Now, each combat action allows you to fight three rounds of battle with the option to start stop at any point. You can retreat after one roll or you can go through all three or you can fight two rounds.
0: It's nice that not you or the monster, but that you and the monster can both Mm -hmm. be taking damage. It's combat, not just a single swipe of your sword.
1: Yes. Now, players have five health and are stunned, not killed. There's no player death in this game. And wake up in the castle with no gold and short one piece of equipment, but at full health due to the health stone, the thing you're guarding in a belt. Now, monsters have set hit points on their chits, and damage actually carries over between attacks, which you don't see often in these fantasy games. Now, when a monster is defeated, it's removed from the board, and you get the reward shown on the token. These often include equipment pulls from the bag, but can also include gold or being able to upgrade your gear.
0: So it's important your balance to want to attack versus your need to upgrade while you can before that meteor strikes.
1: Now, play continues with players moving around, using sights, buying and upgrading gear, placing traps, fighting wandering monsters, etc. until the meteor crash happens. Now, the focus shifts to defeating every monster on the board, including the beast, who starts off with a ton of health, and uses every bad guy die in the box when fighting. If players manage to defeat all the baddies, they win, but if even one makes it into the castle,
0: you lose. Well, now that we've got a good idea of how to play Chronicles of Avel, what did your family think of this cooperative board game? So Chronicles of
1: Avel has been a hit since the first time it hit our game table. Every time has been enjoyable. Everyone who plays, including adults, seems to be hooked right away just by having to draw their characters in Heraldry. Though it's this part of the game that does lead me to my first complaint, and that's the character sheets. Now, you get a nice thick pad of these, but there are a couple issues. First, the sheets are only one-sided, and they swap between girls and boys. Girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. While this is great if you always want to play an even split of genders, when you don't, you end up having to tear off sheets just to get to the ones you want. Now, I know I have tons of double-sided score pads. I think a doodle dungeon with its huge map pad, and I can't imagine that it's that much more cost to print two-sided and i'm really surprised they didn't do that here with the male looking characters on one side and the female characters looking on the back or even better why have male and female looking just go with
0: androgynous
1: characters on all the sheets and then we don't have to worry
0: about it indeed it's certainly an odd choice any number of solutions could avoid this sort of waste
1: now the next problem is the amount of detail in the graphics already in the sheets when reading the rules, I was expecting to see a faint outline or an armature to draw over. Instead, you've got a fairly dark, fully detailed character that are already all armored up. I didn't expect that at all, and everyone I played with has noted this would be so much cooler if it was much more open to customization. Now that said, this is nothing a set of markers or heavy use of a pencil can't fix. I just thought it was an odd choice for a game that encourages you to, to draw your character.
0: Um, I guess it, perhaps that they're allowing for a market that isn't quite as eager to draw in every details as your daughters certainly are, but it is sort of – there, there's a balancing point and they, they just went mm-hmm. too far even for that market, I think.
1: I think so too. Like like honestly, the way it's done, the rules should almost just say color your character because the character is pretty much done. But you know what? We had fun drawing over top of them. Now, once you do have your character drawn or colored, uh, or you just name it, the rest of the player board system is brilliant. I love the way they create these two layer boards out of two separate pieces and how you put them together to hold everything in place. And more brilliantly is even the way they tied this into the inventory system, where different types of equipment slot specific into specifically shaped areas so they don't slide around. And you actually have to get everything to physically fit in your backpack to be able to carry it. Every game we played has had at least one player sitting there fiddling with their pack between turns, trying to fit in one more coin or that potion they just picked up.
0: Indeed, I think the physicality of this game is its strongest standout feature.
1: Now, another aspect of characterization that we had more fun with than I expected is that die drop table. Now, this is a sheet of thin card, not paper, but card that you put into the box lid. Now, on it are the various constellations of Evel. Uh, You then drop a green and a black die into the box and look where they land. Now, each constellation has part of a character name tied to it for each side of the die. Now, the sheet for this is two sided with male and female sounding names. And I honestly like this enough that I kind of want to steal it for other fantasy games. Like the next time we're going to start up a new char- quest in Hero Quest, we're going to use this to name our characters. And I could even see doing it for Dungeons and Dragons or other RPGs, just stealing the dry, dry, die drop table from a Vell to use in other games.
0: It's interesting. And I actually went down a bit of a rabbit hole of die drop tables the other night. And it's sad to see them so underused.
1: Yeah, there's something I I learned about back in the Google Plus days, and Dyson Logos was making a bunch of them. So I am a huge fan of dry drop tables, and I love seeing them for use here. Now, as for the actual gameplay, it's engaging right to the end. And I really enjoy the mix of exploration, preparation, and battles. The only thing that feels just a bit off is how little you can do in one turn, especially with movement only being one hex. You're going to find that many turns are spent moving just so you can do something next turn. And it always feels like, like I just want to do the thing. Okay. I'm going to move here, but then next time it's my turn, I'm going to buy the wall and then I'm going to move here. And then the next time it's my turn, I'm going to do a thing. Now to help with this, there are shortcut tiles. Now these are tiles that count as adjacent, even if they're not next to each other. But the problem we found is, is that purely by luck, every time we have played, they end up next to each other anyway. So you're not really saving a lot of detail. Like, I almost wonder if there's a way to pull one out to put in later or something, some system to make sure they're more spread out. Now, that said, there is one item in the promo pack that will help with this, but I'll get to the expansion content a bit later.
0: And I expect that this game goes over well, and I don't see much reason it shouldn't. Then we might even be able to look forward to more expansions in the future.
1: I know I would be excited if they were announced. Now, combat is quite fun. I described it above, but it can be highly random. Now, this randomness is greatly mitigated by getting your characters equipped as soon as possible. You want to get that helmet, that shield, that sword. Now, most of the items start off good only against set monster colors. And using that to your advantage will greatly increase your odds of winning. And it's also worth upgrading as much of your equipment as you can because each upgraded piece gives you permanent dice. Whereas the basic equipment can only be used once per battle, the permanent dice are used every roll in the game. The ability to back off in the middle of a fight is also interesting because it can lead you to some tactical choices, especially with that rule of only being able to use your equipment once per battle because you could go in and start a fight, fight one round, retreat and then you use your second action to attack again and all your equipment will be reset
0: so not only fun for the family but some real tactical thinking can come into play as well they haven't limited it and made it so kid friendly that it becomes adult unfriendly
1: yeah once we get into my final thoughts that's definitely one of the things i will be bringing up that this one's as fun for adults now, one thing that does set this cooperative game apart from other cooperative games we played uh, with the kids like Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters or Disney Sidekicks is that Avel can be quite easy to win, especially with the default map and easy difficulty, the, the level one on the meteor. That said, even on the easy game levels, like the, the simplest game, it always felt tense, even though it was pretty clear we'd have to roll absolutely horribly to fail. And I think that's just because of the nature of the game with the whole build-up-and-get-ready angle. No matter how much you've done, that turn when you flip that meteor over and repopulate the board and put the, the beast out just feels tense. And then swapping to normal and hard difficulty... Adds two more monsters, up to two more monsters on the board. So I got to say, swipping, swapping that meteor from level one to three didn't do a lot to make the game feel much more difficult. Now, what does really change the difficulty is the different maps, and the main thing that amps up the difficulty is how close the beast is to the castle. In the basic game, it's three squares away, In the hard game, it's two squares away, and in the really difficult game, it's one square away.
0: So the available dials really have significantly different impacts in how they adjust the game from a, a coarse, you know, easy, medium, hard to a sort of more subtle uh, change.
1: Now, an aspect of the game I didn't mention during my summary is that Chronicles of Avell comes with a separate booklet that includes a short story as well as descriptions of all the creatures you'll run across. Now, my youngest daughter loved the fact this was included in the game. Our first time playing, every time we pulled out a new wandering monster, she read out loud the entry for that monster. Now, once later playing with both kids, they would actually argue over who got to read the book next and which monster and whose turn it was. And I really like the non-standard fantasy setting with many familiar creatures with their own unique twists and some really cool new types of baddies, including an entire mushroom-based faction.
0: I mean, I think the Goombas might argue with how original mushroom factions are, but it is always great. To see products like this diverge from elf, dwarf, orc, dragon material into that, you know, that so many just sort of automatically default into. Yeah.
1: I will admit there are goblins. I, I think they had to have put goblins in. Though, if I remember, there's a goblin in each of the factions because they, they were the generic monster. Now, one thing I did try in regards to Avel was to play it just with adults. And I'm happy to say that while this game is aimed at kids, Similar to Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters, it can be just as much fun for adults. Now, we played with Tori and Kat, and Tori in particular was smitten with it. He would have bought a copy online on the spot if it was available to purchase. He loved it that much. He also thought this would be a great game his mother would enjoy, as she enjoys lighter, less thinky games, but likes engaging games with stories. Now, this leads me to say, I think not only is Chronicles of Avil a great cooperative game for playing with kids and the whole family, but it's just a great cooperative game.
0: Though I think some might consider Tori just a big kid, but <laughs> I assume Cat agreed with him.
1: Yes. Actually, they made that comment that night that the, the, uh, I don't know if it counts because we're all kind of big kids anyway. I think most gamers have at least a little bit of that in them. Now, earlier I mentioned that we received Chronicles of avil in a bundle which included three things in addition to the main game and i want to talk a bit about each before i share my overall thoughts so the first was a set of stickers for the meeples this is a nice to have but in no way absolutely not necessary um what was neat is it did include two sets of stickers for each meeple one that looked male one that looked female so you do get to kind of pick your gender but you only get to do this once because these don't come off. I would have loved to have gotten another set of Meeple as well so I could just make a big box full of all the possible combinations, but I get it.
0: They really have made some interesting choices about gender representation. Though I guess most families would probably set up the copy for their their family and be mm-hmm. okay with it. Uh not everyone has the wide variety of play groups or has to account for public play.
1: Yeah, that's a, actually what it ended up doing is I we made three females and one male. Next is the Adventurer's Toolkit. Now, this is an oddly shaped expansion. It's kind of flat and long, and it's in like a wrap instead of a box that ends up being just three punch boards and a set of rules for how to use the new stuff on them. Now, the stuff includes a new item type, boots, which have their own unique shape that you can feel in the bag that give characters re-rolls at the basic level and more movement once you upgrade them. There's three new potion types, there's three new hex tiles that get mixed in with the rest, and three new large monsters, which are three demonic sisters, and rules for familiars. You get the familiars by defeating the sisters. There's also 3D cardboard ballista figures, which are one of the things you can purchase on the new tiles. Now, once built, these fire at the start of each round, dealing damage to monsters on their hex or one hex away. This is actually the only way to do a ranged attack in the game, which was a cool addition. Honestly, this is a fantastic expansion that I don't see any reason you shouldn't pick up if you're picking up the core game. Like, I just recommend this one straight out. My only complaint is that this is a separate purchase. Like, to me, all of this just should have been in the main box, especially since the the, the boots, because you can tell there's a spot for boots on your character card, and you know they pre-planned it. There was obviously designed to fit them.
0: I think this is a really nice expansion. It's not much, but it seems like it would be too much stuff to include in the main box right off the bat and make the game just that much more difficult to handle, learn, especially for the younger audience. So it lets you get used to the game before adding in these new features.
1: That's fair enough. Like, Like most of these do break the original rules in some way. So fair, I can see it. Now, finally, we have the Heroes Treasure Promo Pack. Uh, this is very small. This is a little tiny promo pack, smaller than a card, that contains one punch board with three new items that you just toss into the bag and rules for using now, each of these features a new shape, so it's easy to confuse with the rest of the curves in the bag. Now, there's a stone that lets you re-roll green dice. Note, this is something in your inventory that lets you get a reroll, which is neat. A warp crystal that you can drop on the map that connects to all the other shortcuts I mentioned earlier. So another way to spread out those shortcuts. And the gold pouch, which I just thought was so cute because it lets you stack gold on it, saving you room in your pack instead of having to spread it all out. All three of these are cool. Uh, both mechanically and just to put more stuff in the bag. So I do appreciate that.
0: As a promo pack, it's just a nice, fun thing to have, but in no way necessary. More of a thank you for jumping on the Avil train.
1: Now, looking at everything as a whole, I I honestly had no idea what to expect when I agreed to review Chronicles of Avil. Uh, when first contacted, I, of course, did some research. And I looked up the game, and I'm like, oh, that art is really fantastic, and it looks like a unique unique world. And then I read the bag-pulling inventory system, and that alone was enough to convince me to try it. Uh, years ago, my kids had a game called Laundry Jumble, where they had to reach into a laundry bin and pull out different types of fabric, and I was reminded of that and how much my kids loved that. And I'm always looking for a game our entire family should enjoy. So while it's not that I expected the game to be bad, but I didn't expect it to be nearly as good as it actually is. I, there's no way I could have anticipated how much we would enjoy this game. Chronicles of Avel is a solid cooperative board game. features fantastic artwork, a cool unique fantasy setting, engaging mechanics, and f- excellent component quality. The bag-based equipment system is just as much fun as I hoped, and the adventures feel tense even when you're doing well. While the game may seem easy at first, which I honestly think is great for playing with younger kids, there are ways to ramp up the difficulty to challenge even experienced cooperative game players.
0: So who's this game for? Who should be rushing out to grab it? And who maybe not so much? Everyone
1: should know. Uh, if, if, if you're a fan of cooperative game, if you're looking for a cooperative fantasy adventure game the entire family can enjoy together, I don't think you can go wrong with this one. This is even one I think younger, early grade school kids will be able to grasp and enjoy, yet is more than engaging enough for adults to enjoy. And that's honestly the biggest surprise to me with Chronicles of Avil is just how much fun a group of four adults had playing this game clearly marketed to families and kids. Honestly, if you're a cooperative game fan, even if you don't have kids or don't plan on playing with kids, you should check this game out. It's not only a great cooperative family game, it's just a great cooperative game. Though, with adults, I do suggest jumping to at least the medium difficulty maps after your first learning game to make it more of a challenge. Now, if you don't like cooperative games at all, I don't think Chronicles of Avil is going to win you over. It has the same issues you're going to find in most cooperative games, including a big potential for quarterbacking, um, and there's nothing really in this system at all to mitigate quarterbacking. Um, It follows the usual formula of everyone does a thing, then something bad happens. And really, except for the cool bag building mechanic, there's nothing really totally new here. You're not going to discover a brand new, you know, this isn't the first deck builder or something. Maybe it'll be the first touch and feel, pull from a bad game and start a whole trend. That'd be kind of neat. But for, for experienced gamers, I don't think you're, you're missing out on anything, especially if you don't like co-op games. Now, I do have one final recommendation, one Sean mentioned earlier, and that is if you do pick up this game, if you do think of picking this game up, I strongly think it's worth getting that bundle deal where you get the expansion and the promo pack uh, and the stickers. While the game doesn't feel incomplete without them, the everything adds to the game in a significant and rewarding way. I really think, especially the expansion, if you can only get one, go for the expansion. If you can only get two, get the, get the promo pack and leave the stickers to the side. Though they're nice to have.
0: Well, that's it for our review of Chronicles of Aval from Rebel Studio. When you have the time, I invite you to also check out the written review over at tabletopbellhop.com. And now the Bellhop's tabletop, where we look back at the games we played since last episode.
1: Okay, so we made up for the lack of game playing over the last month in this last week with multiple game nights and multiple games played. Starting with Aquilon. So every time we play Aquilon, D kicks my butt. Every time D and Gwen play, Gwen usually kicks D's butt. Well, Gwen wanted to see what it was like playing with me, and somehow. We broke the logical pattern here and I kicked her butt twice. So I don't know if it's a rock, paper, scissor thing or something. Uh, Obviously, different people play this game differently. And that is greatly affects how you play in, in, in reaction to them, and Gwen kept saying that she's like, "I have never, Mom's never put one out in the middle. She always uses it to block, and you keep putting things out in the middle." She's like, "I think you put a block just so that you could slide something to hit it." And I'm like, "Yes, I did." <laughs> she's like, "Well, I've never seen that before. I never even thought of that." So, so it obviously impacted it. Uh, she was embarrassed because she she thought she was all that and unde- well, not undefeated. D had beat her a couple times, but I actually think it's good. Like, I think this is a good thing that there are different ways people can play and how much that impacts your ability to play and the tactical nature of having to adapt your strategy to who you're playing with. To me, that's, that's one of those good signs in an abstract strategy game.
0: Indeed. It seems like play style is just as much a part of the game as pure tactics. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's definitely one, the more you play, the more you realize things you can do, which I do think is a, is, again, a highlight of the game. Now, Friday night, Tori and Kat came over for the first time this year, and we managed to squeeze in three games. So first up was our first all-adult game of Chronicles of Avil, which, as I mentioned during a review segment, went over really well. Like, Tori literally stopped the game after about turn two or three or four and was, like, on his phone. He's like, you can't get this, can you? (laughs) I'm like, no, unfortunately you can't. It's still coming. He's like, oh, I really want to get it. I, I was honestly shocked by how much fun we had. And I really do think a group of adults could have a great time with this game, even if they took it more seriously than us. I honestly think a certain local group of gamers who take things way too seriously would still have fun with this
0: game. I'm just picturing that. Sorry, because I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Uh <laughs> It's interesting. I was actually just reading through comments on Board Game Geek about this game and uh, they're really high, although everyone is saying, you know, kids, 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 and I think these are a lot of, again, yeah. they're hobby board well, gamers there. that's definitely where it's targeted. Um, my, my favorite is someone who gave it a three because it doesn't come with the shoes. Uh, <laughs> that's literally their I, reasoning for a I, three. Is because I, I, I can
1: kind of see it, except that's playing the system wrong. Yeah. But I did feel that was like, like, put the boots in the main game at least. Give me the, the Ballista are weird enough yep. That it, but the boots are like, I'm like missing boots, obviously. I can like, the fact you can see it yeah. is a little annoying. Uh, what I don't know is how much the expansion costs, which I didn't want to mention in the review, but I can't find an MSRP. Right. Like, they're, they're, like, looking at their website, there's no, maybe that's a Polish thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I think the tactile yeah. aspect is really great. And I love tower defense. Uh, my question, again, though, is you know, how many plays. Is a group of adults going to get out of it? Sure. It's fun. I mean, absolutely. You, you get a couple yeah. of, you get a couple of fun plays, even at the hard level, but I, I don't know how often it would come out after you've had a couple of plays. And as Dee is saying right now, she loved playing with the kids, but doesn't really need to play it again with adults.
1: Yeah, she doesn't like cooperative games that's though, true. so I think that's a <laughs> there big is thing. That. Where, where I'm like, yes, it, it plays the same every time, but like people play Pandemic how many times in a row, and people play Horrified, and and uh, I don't know. I I I'd, I'd be willing to play it again with adults, no problem. I if we were doing public play events, I'd be bringing it out. I'm definitely not sick of it at this point. Sure. So, I, I, again, it's going to depend on the group. I think you have to like co-op games. Like, that. that's the one key. And you can't have a power gamer. Because I admit it was hard with the kids. And and I will say Gwen got upset one time because we kept trying to help her. Right? Like, we were like, and she's like, I'm going to go do this. And I'm like, but that doesn't help us. Remember, we're working together. <laughs> Right. Like, if you go that, and then I got to make one kind of got the, well, if you think I have to go over here and build a wall, I'll go over here and build a wall. And I'm like, oh, we quarterbacked her, and I kind of felt bad. But it's cooperative. And I'm like, but what are you doing? And then I'll admit my other kid just wanted to explore every tile and ran around, and we tried to talk her out of it, but she's more strong willed and did it anyway. Right. So, yet we still won. So that's another indication of it. I, I got to say that the difficulty, um, like, I did them three difficulty on the meteor just, didn't make enough impact right. like it really well, and that's did.
0: what i like i pointed that out during the review i think it's interesting that you've got two different you've got a fine yes. of course him you know you, you've got the maps mm-hmm. which make these big jumps in difficulty whereas the meteor adjustment is just a tiny little tweak left or right on that adjustment scale
1: and and a comment to the person who left a three wait till you buy the expansion <laughs> Where you have to scan a QR code because they failed to include the instructions for how to set up the map with the expansion tiles. I don't know. It's like a big sheet that you can download that's as big as the box, which I don't know if it was supposed to be in the original box. And, well, that obviously won't fit on that small expansion. Right. So you literally have to go online to get maps for the expansion, which, I, again, I didn't feel was necessary to call out, but was a little annoying. Fair. All right, next. Jumping, leaving a, a vel in, in the pile of will never be played again in our house, possibly. No, the kids like it enough. I'm sure they'll do it. And, and my kids are old enough. They'll play it on their own. Um, next, we introduced Tori and Cat to Lost Ruins of Arnak. Um, I think I oversold it at first. And I didn't realize this, but Cat does not like worker placement games. Back when she was 19, the first game night she came out to, I taught her a worker placement and she hated it. She doesn't remember what game it was. I don't remember this even happening because back then I wouldn't have known her to know from anyone else. Um, so she was scared. Um, Tori was also hesitant, but like... You've seen the board? You've seen the the pile of to- Well, you don't really see the pile of tokens, but you can tell there's piles of tokens. Well, I mean, on I've, I've, seen, the, I've seen the I've seen the unboxing.
0: I know. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen this and I've seen the the photos on BGG of the layout. Yeah. It's an imposing game. It is, yeah, it is exactly. seriously a lot of, "Oh my god, what is going on in front of me?"
1: Yes. And then you have the whole you start playing and they're like, "Well, what do I do?" And I'm like, "It's up to you." Because that's kind of what that game is like. You're oh, like, yeah. I don't know what you should do. And now i played it enough times I can at least say, well, you can kind of work on this path here. You can do this or you can try to buy cards or you can work towards artifacts. But you really do want to explore. That's the one thing I've learned is you, you. I don't think you can win a game if you don't start getting those idols for exploring. And it's not just to unlock supplies. Those, those idols are way too useful. So, anyway, they were intimidated a bit for, at first. But, like, by round three, both of them were like, oh, no, this is good. Like, like they were doing that. I oh, don't know. You were right. Cause I'm like, this is probably the best game I played since Terraforming Mars. And everyone knows how much I love Terraforming Mars. And I started with that and they were like, Oh, worker placement. I don't know. But yeah, we, we, we had convinced her or convinced them that, that they were sold. And while Cad is like, okay, worker placement games can be fun. Um, and I'm like, man, now I need to show her more worker placement games. Cause like Terraforming Mars, I know she loves, but that's not worker placement. I was, I'd still want to know which one I taught her. So this was the first four player game physically. Closest game ever. 64 to 63 to 62 to 54. And Tori took the win. And thankfully did not do the Tori thing of, I, never, I won so much I don't have to play again. Cause it was that close, right? So he didn't feel like he crushed us and never needs to play again. Um, now I know Board Game Geek has this list as best at three, but it, it felt solid with four. I, I didn't. Like we played enough three-player games online that I don't see how four is worse than three in any way. Um, one neat thing that happened I had never seen before, and part of why I liked it at four is every single one of the mid-level exploration sites, the the, the first level, were filled. Like there was full option of what is eight spots to go to, and three of the four ones at the top were there, which meant in those last two rounds of the game there were so, so many options. It was fantastic course, it did lead to some AP, but I think everyone was suffering from the same amount of AP, so it's not like it was a problem. Yeah,
0: I, I really feel like I've been missing out not playing this physically, and I, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to fix it. Uh, at least the teach should be easier with all the time I've spent on BTK. Yeah, shouldn't
1: take that much work. I, th- I think I would call myself proficient at teaching that game at this point. I've now played enough and taught it to enough different people. Now, the last thing we did Friday night, and this may be the one people in the chat are most interested in or our listeners are most interested in, is we finally started our Charterstone campaign. Now, that was interesting because what an oddly designed start of a game Um, that you have a mostly empty rulebook with tons of gaps. And like, I don't remember having the issue with Risk Legacy or Pandemic Legacy where this just felt like I didn't have enough stuff. Like there's just really no onboarding and it just feels kind of odd, but then kind of neat because everyone's in the same boat kind of going, what is this? What are we doing? Um, it has, you set everything up, right? Like you're going to put the board out and then you're going to open this box and this box contains your components, right? And then you're going to take your components, you're going to put them out and it involves cool stuff like actual metal money. Like there's some really impressive stuff in these boxes. And then you're like, pick a charter and base it on where you're sitting compared to the board. And, and I'm like, okay. And honestly, like Gloomhaven did this. You're basically picking based on the color and a symbol. Right. And then you open it up and find out like like Cat's the pumpkin lady. Like all her stuff is around pumpkins. My person ended up being around clay. But like you had no information on this. You just kinda like, all right. Um, then you literally start putting stickers on a map and and th- people were like, I don't want to put a sticker on the map. I don't know what I'm doing yet, but you put stickers on the map and then it tells you how to place your workers and activate spots. And then basically goes, go. Um, the only thing it tells you is don't read further until someone goes to this special spot called the charter stone to open the crate on their building card. They just peeled their sticker off. Cause again, like, I don't want to spoil anything. So I'm being fairly vague. So it's like, just start playing. And while everyone was kind of nervous, which I honestly think was unwarranted. Like everyone was way too worried that they were going to do something wrong. I'm going to put the sticker in the wrong spot, and it's going to ruin the campaign. Now, personally, I think what we were doing here isn't going to matter all that much by the time we get the game three, four, five, twelve, whatever. Um, we're in for the long run. I think now it's just a chance to, like, here, get used to putting stuff on the board. Get used to putting your meeple out. Look, you're collecting resources.
0: I think based on the previous legacy games you've played, I can completely understand the hesitance, even if in this case it may have been unwarranted. I mean, imagine, you know, games like Gloomhaven where if you put the sticker in the wrong place, you're up the creek.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Rip up the wrong card? Yeah. I don't know. There, so far, there has been no destruction, so that's worth noting. Though I don't know if that might change. But, like, Kat was so scared. of. She's like, I don't want to put my sticker in the wrong place. <laughs> and I screwed. I put up a sticker upside down. Thankfully, it peeled off pretty well. Uh So far, the gameplay itself is very simple action selection. Um, I know everyone wants to call it worker placement, but to me, a worker placement game, you have to block the spot. If I'm on it, no one else can take it. So to me, that's not worker placement. That's action selection. I am picking that action, and I have two workers to pick actions from. I know that that's such a a, a weird, you know, arguing about worker placement. But anyway, you have you have two people, and what it uses is the Euphoria system because that's also Stonemire. That's why I say that. So you're going to either place a worker bur- or take all your workers back. And at this point, we have two and one's bigger than the other, and there's no reason. So that's always interesting. Um, there's six charters, and while well, each charter specializes in a different resource. So there's six resources. Um, you've got a spot to trade in your resources for goals. Our gold. Sorry, gold. Um, there's end, not end game scoring, but goals to achieve. Like uh, you shuffle a deck. It gave you five of them, I think, to start. And we had have six gold, have a good of each type. And I don't remember what the third one was. It's probably the one I didn't actually achieve. Um, that you can try to do. There's a way to ship goods, which none of us, the entire game, shipped any goods. Um... Once you unlock that crate, so slight, very slight spoiler. It's all in game one. Uh, it, it gives you buildings to build and unlocks a whole building building. So now you finally have a reason for the resources you're collecting. Cause up until that point, a pumpkin was no different than a, than a, than a, than a brick. Um, the game was very much a point salad. Like most of those actions gave you points for doing things. Um, then there's like instead of getting points, you would get reputation and that was area majority where the person with the most rep at the end of the game got 10 points. Uh, So far, it just kind of feels like a generic gateway Euro with a bunch of Euro mechanics, like your, your action selection, you're placing workers, you're collecting resources, trading the resources in, building things, as well as an area control. Like, it's all just stuff we've all seen before. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. Now, the one thing I'm really, really curious about is it basically said everyone should unlock that crate. And once we saw what the crate did you get buildings and you get this other thing that's going to start in the next game and it's all tied together. So, so your charter kind of gives you a theme. Well, Dee chose not to unlock her crate. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now in the first game. You get to carry over your stuff, but if she doesn't unlock the crate next game, she loses the cards. And I don't know if that like could ruin your whole game because she'll never get buildings. Like I, I have no idea. So that's going to be interesting because Deanna is just kind of like, well, the game wants me to do this. Screw that. I'm not doing that.
0: Well, it's certainly a risky choice from the sounds of it. I'm almost sad you guys aren't streaming this one, but I'm sure we'll hear all about it here to follow along.
1: Oh, yeah. I I we we could stream. I, I worry we would have a hard time being PG because we got used to not streaming our, our games on Friday nights. It would take some work to get us back to being good little boys and girls. Uh next up, Deanna and I finally tried Quacks of Quedlinburg with herb witches, and wow, is it good? Like, like there is nothing bad about this expansion at all. I love everything about this. Um, you got a brand new ingredient, Loco Weed, which does some cool stuff. Uh, you got two different varieties of local weed. You got improved pumpkins, which, I don't know, six pumpkins. Uh, two new varieties of all of the existing ingredients. Now, remember when we bought the expansion for... for. Um Imhotep, or like, you now have 10, 28 possible combinations. I have no idea what Quax is up to, but it's ridiculous because there's now six different options for all of the basic ingredients that can be combined with every other ingredient in six different options. Like, it's got to be in like the billions at this point of possible combinations for ingredients. And then you get the herb witches themselves, which you you have three witches... Actually, I'll get to those in a second. So so we played two games. I want to talk about the recipe books first. So we, we played two games, and we played with all the five sides of the recipes. I guess we'll call it sides. And then the six sides of the recipes. And while well, we flipped the local weed over. And while well, the pumpkin just – there's a new version of pumpkin. And what I like to see was so many more luck mitigation ingredients. There was a lot more – Pull a thing out and put it aside, but you have to use it later. Or if this is after that, get a thing. Um, another one that I found was fascinating is a whole bunch that gave you stuff in the middle of pulling, being uh, points or rubies. So it's like, if this was placed after this, get a ruby in the middle of the round. So that was a, a game changer. Um, there was something, that there was more um, catch-up mechanics. There were, there were things that let you double the rat tails you had and stuff like that. Just all things that honestly seemed to fix issues I've seen us complain about or other people complain about with the original.
0: And people seemed oddly excited about the giant pumpkins.
1: Yes, I don't know. <laughs> Six pumpkins! I don't know. My Twitter feed went yeah, nuts. Well, I, they they love those ties. Tith- went went. Went cuckoo when I started talking about giant pumpkin. We did not buy a single six pumpkin. Sorry. They cost 22. And with 22, it seemed like other stuff was better. Though I got to say moving six. Oh, that's something I totally forgot in, in my notes here. So another thing it adds is the overflow pot. So now you can go past the Well, that's the spoon. what
0: that extra little thing was. Okay.
1: Yes. I actually completely forgot about it until just now while talking to you. There's now an overflow pot. So you can actually go past. And what happens is your ingredients go in there, but don't do anything. And but then you add them up and divide them by two and get points. Okay. But it can still explode. So just adding the cherry bomb, so if you push it too far, you can still make your potty. What I love
0: is this whole discussion here. You've talked about all this luck mitigation or all this luck mitigation things, and yet you had that horrible pull that you showed on your stream. That was just was that
1: not awful. terrible. <laughs> like, did you see how much was in my bag? Oh yeah. It
0: was no, that was that was brutal.
1: You had you just did not have a good pull. No, it's, it's, it's randomness mitigation, not removal. Yep. <laughs> now, as for the witches, every game you're going to play with three witches, and there are four varieties of each witch type. So, so you're randomizing between four, and then randomized between four, randomized between four. And each of the witches seems to be themed to do different things, and they each have an ability that you're allowed to use once per game. And they track it neat. You get a you get a bronze coin, a silver coin, a gold coin, and each witch takes a different bribe. And that's just to show you've used it as you spend your coin. Um, those would have been awesome if they were metal. Um, the stuff they do was really cool. Um, there was one that was always based on buying ingredients as far as we saw because we tried two of the four. And it was, you know, when you buy an ingredient, get the next one for free. Or when buying an ingredient, upgrade to the next level. Or you can purchase twice or something like that. Um, or discounts on buying stuff there were ones that give bonus points and the bonus points one seemed to be based on what was in your pot. So it was like at the end of the round or at the end of any round, you could pay this witch off and you would get points based on how many different colors you had. Or then the next one was how many of the same color. So there was ways to get bonus points. And then the best one, in my opinion, was the one that was randomness mitigation, which was stop and explode. Like if your pot explodes, you still get both things or put the last two cherry bombs back into your bag or things like that. And those were the two we saw was was ignore explosions, but I noticed the blue witch was all, had to do with not exploding or putting things back in. And again, I thought this was awesome because it offsets some of the randomness. And as Sean said, some of the randomness. Now, Deanna in particular liked this because she thought it greatly improved the game, like kind of fixed it. Uh, well, I always loved Quacks. I was the one that, that I was always pushing to play it. She didn't love it. She'd play it like, like hey, you want to play Quacks? Yeah, okay, I'll play Quacks. But like if Tori and Cat were coming to her I'm like, let's play Quacks. She's like, well, couldn't we play Arnak or something else? Adding in the herb witches, now Deanna can confirm this, seemed to move it from a game she will play to a game she might sometimes want to play. Right, Like, I don't, I still don't think she's going to be like, hey, know what we should do tonight is play this. But I think it's going to be one that she's going to be much more willing to play.
0: Well, I think that's uh, sort of the response we were most were expecting to hear. I'm glad to see the excitement for the expansion was well warranted oh, yeah. and they didn't hurt an already really fun game.
1: Yeah, that, no complaints. Like like nothing felt broken or overwrought or I mean, it's a little more fiddly now because you have even more stuff to track, but that's about it. Now, Deanna and I also tried out the snake side of the board in Lost Ruins of Arnak, and I have to agree with the threads we saw on Board Game Geek. This side does seem to be better balanced and definitely seemed to help with the runaway leader problem I was seeing in two-player games previously. I actually enjoyed this side of the board quite a bit more, though I have to say I did totally mess up my last turn of the game, which cost me the entire thing. Like, up until that point, I was doing great. Might have even pulled off my first two-player win, but I messed up so bad, and you played Arnax, you know how bad this is, I had to discard five cards at the end of the game with nothing I could do with any of them. Now, this was 100% my fault, not a problem with the game or my opponent, but highly frustrating. Yeah,
0: that's... uh that's rough. Uh, it's good to know here that the difference is as advertised. Uh, cause I know I'd run into that snake side solves problems, uh, thread a number of times, uh, in discussions.
1: Now, my last game of the week was a Sunday game of Imperial settlers over at Brenda's place. Um, I've been enjoying rediscovering this card driven Sib building game, and it was cool to play a game with all four factions in play, just to see how different they each play. Now, I played the Samurai this time, which is a factions whose buildings can be raised by themselves or their opponents. Um, they also added an end game scoring mechanic to the game, which I was a little too obsessed with because I managed to max out my end game scoring, but then it still wasn't enough to take the win. Uh, Deanna tried out the Egyptians for the first time, which, of course, were all about using workers to build with stone, as well as hoarding gold. Now, Gwen tried the Romans, um, but felt she, she had some difficulty with it because they start off feeling underpowered. And honestly, they really are. They only have two workers. But once you get an engine going, they can be one of the most powerful factions in the game. And I just think for her learning the game, she started off frustrating and then didn't really recover later. Though she ended up, I think, coming in second place. Now, Brenda loved playing the Barbarians, disrupting everyone else's deals, and raiding our civilizations every turn. So that went over well. Overall, I am really enjoying Imperial Settlers. I'm glad that we've rediscovered it, and we've had now had all the factions to the table. So we've now seen them all, I've relearned the rules, and I'm going to finally crack open my Atlanteans expansion that has been on my pile of shame since 2016,
0: 2017, far too long. It's funny you're talking about this game again, because 51st State keeps throwing up in my, in my mailbox all these... All Everyone's those, going nuts over uh, that. Uh, I anyways. know,
1: it's, it's supposed to be better. I know <laughs> some people like that one better. Uh, Odd, though, like you think I'd prefer post-apocalyptic, but for some reason, civilization and farming yeah. to me. You play a lot of Europe, better.
0: So <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, how about a look ahead? What do you have planned for the coming weeks? All right. So
1: one of the things I did this past week was record
0: ten unboxing
1: videos in a row. Yes, that's ten different unboxing videos. Um, I had packages show up from Free League as well as the Op the last week, and cracked open those as well. A few more of my holiday gifts. Uh, that's where. Quacks came from actually it was from the holiday gifts, so this means I've got lots of games to sit down and learn to play games and expansions. Um, Now this Friday is Genevieve's birthday, and Tori and Cat are coming over, and one of our plans for the day is to play some party games with both kids and Tori and Cat. So get all six of us down there. So that my goal, uh, my my self serving goal, is to get hues and cues out of the pile of obligation and played and telestrations as well. Now, what I don't know if I can toss in is the 90s, 80s cards with Telestrations, but I'm not sure because I just think Telestrations in general might be difficult for kids. But you know what? It's not about the score. So if I draw a, a wolf eating someone and the answer is supposed to be Duran Duran, hungry write the wolf, it doesn't matter. They're going to see a picture of a wolf and write the word wolf. So it'll still work. So we may or may not t- toss that in. Now, what I'm hoping is the kids go to bed early enough that we can also get in our second game of Charterstone and we'll see if D finally opens a crate or decides to just keep going without it. So I think that'll be interesting. Other than that, who knows? Maybe it'll be like last week and we'll get in even more games, but that's my plans.
0: Now a quick shout out and a thank you to some of our VIP guests, our Patreon backers. We greatly appreciate their support. Kat and Tori, because they haven't been
1: mentioned enough in this show tonight. <laughs> it just kind of worked out that way. I got to say thanks in advance for putting up with our kids on Friday. Hopefully it goes well. William
0: Fisher, thank you.
1: Danielle Thomas, who haven't seen in the chat room for a while. I hope you're doing all right, Major Kayla. Sean P. Kelly of the Excellent Gaming and BS Podcast. Thank you. Sadly, I haven't been keeping up with them. I, I need to find time. to. Are they still do a Monday nights? They're doing
0: Mondays, but it moved to YouTube, and, and I, I, don't, I haven't oh, seen so I don't notifications. get notifications yeah. or something.
1: Yeah. Okay, so I haven't caught them in a while. Still dig the show. I assume it hasn't suddenly gone terrible. Uh, Andrew Dacey. Thank you, Andrew. Well, that was the double bell. That means my shift's coming to an end, and since Ryan's not here, we can just lock the front doors.
0: Though the doors to the lobby are closed, you can always find us all over the web as Tabletop Bellhop. one word. You can visit our website at TabletopBellhop.com, find your pod, our podcast on your podcatcher of choice, because you can't find our podcatcher on your podcast. And sign up for our newsletter at Newsletter.TabletopBellhop.com for weekly updates. As always, links down below
1: though you might be
0: able to if you also use Pinecast.
1: Mm. That's possible. Now, if you like the content we're providing, and would like to support our continued efforts, uh, that would be awesome. But if you really want bonus content, head over to patreon.com slash tabletop bellhop. We give you bonus audio, access to a Discord channel, sometimes free games.
0: Well, that wraps up the time we have for the show tonight. For the lobbyists, thanks for joining us and be sure to stick around and join us in the penthouse suite for the after show, and stop by sundays for brunch for tabletop bellhop gaming podcast i'm sean and i'm mo thank you and game, game on find full reviews show notes and more at tabletopbellhop.com. graphic design by brian weiss at rpg and co music is nimbus by evening land the podcast is released under a creative commons attribution license